Hey, church, uh, it's so good to be with you again. We're so grateful that if you are watching us, if you're part of our church or maybe you're not part of our church, we're so um, honored that you chose to be part of us this Sunday. I pray this message blesses you. And uh, for those who don't know, we just started last week a new series called Wait What? And we're exploring four times in Jesus' early ministry where the people around him had to stop and say, wait, what did Jesus just do? What did Jesus just say? Is it okay for him to say that? And the reason we're doing this is because Jesus made waves. He did things that offended people. He did things that made people question what he was doing and why he was doing it on purpose to teach you and me something powerful. And we explored this idea last week about God's forgiveness, that Jesus forgives us and makes us worthy of receiving his life and his power. He showed it to us in this this story where a paralyzed man is put before him so that he might be healed. And Jesus doesn't say at the beginning, rise up and walk. He says to him, your sins are forgiven you. First, Jesus forgives us. He forgives you and me. Then he pours his life all over us. And so when religion tells us we're not worthy of receiving his life, he says, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, you are worthy. I make you worthy and I pour my life on you. And so you can go and check that out. That's last week's message. But we also explored this idea that when religion sees a problem, Jesus sees a person. You see, when we are wrapped up in religion, the do's and don'ts, the laws, the regulations of what religion says, then we forget to see the person that's behind the problem. We might be see sin. We might see um, problems and, and issues in people's lives, brokenness. But Jesus sees a person, and we need to as well. We need to adopt that into our religious understanding that people are not problems. Problems can be sorted out, but first the person needs to encounter the love of Jesus. And we are exploring this idea, and we're going to continue that today, this idea that that Jesus sees people, he doesn't see problems. And so today we're going to carry on in the book of Mark, and we're actually going to pick up where we left off. We're reading from the book of Mark, chapter 2, verse 13. Let's read together. It says this, Jesus went out to walk near Lake Galilee, and a massive crowd gathered, so he taught them. You see, Jesus is starting to get more and more famous as he's doing this. As he walked along, he found Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth collecting taxes. He approached him and said, come, follow me. Immediately, he got up from his booth and began to follow Jesus. Later, Jesus and his disciples went to have a meal with Levi. Among the guests at Levi's home were many tax collectors and notable sinners sharing a meal with Jesus. For there were many kinds of people that followed him. I just, I love that, that statement there. Many kinds of people that followed him. But when the religious scholars and the Pharisees found out that Jesus was keeping company and dining with sinners and tax collectors, they were indignant. Means that they were, they were miffed by this. So they approached Jesus' disciples and said to them, Why is it that someone like Jesus defiles himself by eating with sinners and tax collectors? But when Jesus overheard their complaint, he said to them, 
Who goes to the doctor for a cure? Those who are well or those who are sick? I have not come to call the righteous, but to call those who are sinners and bring them to repentance. And that's, that's our scripture today. There's so much cool stuff that's going on in here. Before we get into understanding the fullness of the scripture, I have a question for you. Do you like tax? It's, it's a good question. <clears throat> do you like tax? Is tax a good thing to you? Do you enjoy doing your taxes? You know, the truth is, uh, if any of you at home or at the watch parties are currently saying, yeah, I love tax, tax is great. I think what you need to do is just get a prayer request form, fill it out and send it to us. Uh, we'll pray for you because obviously you are mad. The truth is tax sucks. Tax is not great. Um, it's hard. It's annoying. It's even scary. Check this out. When I was kind of growing up, I, I went through school, university, and I got to work at the church straight out of university, which is awesome. And it was great. Life was great. I was working, doing my passion, getting involved in church. Uh, and then after about a year of doing work, I got this message, you need to do your tax. And it was the scariest thing that had ever happened to me in my life. I had no idea what I was doing, right? I'd been getting my salary in and I, I didn't understand how tax worked. I had to do a tax return. You know, now looking back, it's a simple thing for me to do now. But back then, the first time I had to do it, man, I was scared outside of my mind because I, there's all these forms that you have to fill out and all these numbers and things that you have to try and understand and I didn't understand them I didn't know what they were all about I had no idea what I was doing and it's like really serious I mean if I do this thing wrong I could go to jail that's all that's in my mind while I'm doing this tax return it was scary and above that it didn't work e-filing didn't work I had to go into SARS no one there was happy every person I encountered was unhappy the whole experience was terrible terrible. I kept having to go back with the wrong documents. Everything was wrong. And the whole time I'm just thinking, I got to get this thing done before the deadline or I'm going to jail. You know, it was scary. Eventually it all worked out and we figured it out. But man, it was a, it was a really tough time. And I'm sure so many of you have the same experience in your life. I mean, no one taught me in high school how to do tax. It was just do your tax. And I had no idea what I was doing. And the reality is no one here likes tax. No one likes paying their taxes. It's just something that we have to do. And that's the way that we feel about tax, right? In Jesus' day, with the people that, of Jesus' time... They hated tax collectors. They didn't just hate them. The word that is used is they reviled them. They were like, they were like vile creatures, these people who were tax collectors. Why is that? Because these tax collectors weren't just collecting taxes like, hey, nice, let's give our taxes to the government. At that time, the Jewish nation of Israel was under occupation of the Romans, this heathen outside nation that had come in and taken over and they were, they were occupied by the Romans. And these tax collectors were collecting taxes for the Romans. It was horrible. They were hated. They were known as sinners, vile sinners, these tax collectors. And this is the people that Jesus hung out with. 
When Jesus decides, I'm going to go hang out with these guys, and not just tax collectors, other sinners, notable, the word says notable sinners. These are drunkards, even prostitutes, people that are just not accepted by society. They are the worst of the worst in society, and they're not received, they're not accepted by anyone. These are the people Jesus goes to hang out with. And when Jesus does this, again, people stand back and they go, wait, wait, wait a minute. Who is Jesus hanging out with? Who is He's hanging out with sinners and tax collectors. He's eating dinner with them. These are the worst people in the world. They're the most unholy people in the world. And the Pharisees and the scribes, they come and they, they accuse Jesus of defiling himself defiling his spirit by being associated with these people. Now, why was it such a big deal? Again, we have to just dig a little bit into the culture. And, and when we talk about the defilement that these sinners would, would bring to Jesus, we have to understand the context of what we're talking about. You know, there was the religious view held that in order to be a servant of God, you must keep yourself pure and holy. Now let's just take a minute, let's camp out on the word holy for a second. What does it mean? What holy means is not a, a pure way of walking or dressing or talking nice. It's not that. What holiness is, is separation, right? When God talks about his holiness, he's talking about how him and his ways are different to what is evil, to what is dark. Lightness, light and dark, right? And it's, it's the separation. So when we say that, that we are to keep ourselves holy to God, it's to separate it. It's to keep it aside, different from the rest of the world. And so the religious idea that was held at the time and even today is that when you hang out, when you associate yourself with those who are sinful, their defilement, their darkness comes into your holiness and no longer are you separate but are you one with this 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 evilness and so it defiles you so in the time the pharisees and the scribes and all these religious people would never be caught dead hanging out with these sinners to be to be associated with tax collectors and sinners was they could never be accepted Never, and they couldn't accept Jesus for it. You know, it's interesting. These Pharisees don't go to Jesus now this time. First time we spoke about last week, they go straight to Jesus and they say to him, how can you say this? Who do you think you are? Now they, 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 got, they got beaten back by Jesus in that moment. So now they don't go to him. They go to his disciples and they say, how can your master, how can your rabbi be doing this? And Jesus hears them and Jesus knows what they're all about. And so he comes and he addresses them. And it's so beautiful what Jesus says. And it's something you and I need to pull into ourselves is that he says, who needs? He's basically saying, who needs the message? I'm not here for the righteous people. I'm here for those who are not righteous to lead them to repentance. And I have this question to ask you as you're watching this. Imagine our senior pastor let me ask you the question. If it was notable that our senior pastor was hanging out in the bars and the pubs with the people who are sinners, if, if, if he was known to be hanging out with people who were not Christians, to be hanging out with people who, who weren't uh, Jesus followers and who didn't know the word, but in fact were actually heathens and sinners, 
would you still come to this church? Would you still attend this church? The truth is most of us probably wouldn't. We would look at that and say, no, but this pastor is weird. This pastor is hanging out with the wrong kinds of people. And that's exactly what they did to Jesus. And I need you to think about that for a second, because when Jesus is addressing the Pharisees here, he's actually also addressing you and me and the way that we think about the world. Remember, Jesus doesn't see the sin. He sees the person behind the sin. He doesn't see the problem. He sees the person. Religion sees only the problem. And says that if you want to be holy, you cannot even mix with these people. They must be away so that you can remain holy. But Jesus knew something, and this thing is vital. You need to hear it today. Jesus knew that their unrighteousness could never impact or infect his righteousness. Their unrighteousness could not have any effect on his righteousness. Because he was fully God, he was fully pure, and he was fully righteous. And you know what? I need you to hear something today. The righteousness that Jesus purchased on the cross when he died for the sins of the world, for your sin and my sin, is that same righteousness. It cannot be affected by the people around you. It cannot be impacted by those that are around you. It is a righteousness that is not earned. It is a righteousness that is given. Jesus gives us his righteousness so that we might once and for all stand in front of God, the righteous judge, and stand truly on Jesus' sacrifice and say, we are your children. We are bold in relying on the grace of Jesus Christ that we might be righteous before the throne of God. And that can't be taken away from you. It was given by God and it can't be taken away by any person. No one can take that away when Jesus gives it. Are you listening to me right now? No one can take your righteousness away from you when Jesus gives it to you. If Jesus gives it to you, who can take it away? Not even you. If Jesus gives it to you, not even you can take your righteousness away. If your heart is surrendered to Jesus, if you are a Jesus follower, his righteousness is yours. You see, most people on the earth today are not Jesus followers. This is the difference. People that are not following Jesus do not have access to this. They don't know what righteousness is. And when religion comes in and says, because you are unholy, you cannot come near us and we cannot come near you, how are they ever going to get the message? This is what Jesus is talking about when he says, who needs the cure? When you go to a doctor, do you go there because you are sick or because you are well? You go there because you are sick. In the same way, Jesus goes to the sinners, to those who need the message, because he didn't come for those who are saved. He came for those who are not saved. And the church is here on the earth now, not to go to those who are saved, but to go to those who are not saved. And yet we close our doors to those who are not holy like us, when it's them that need the message. And we create these clubs of perfect people 
when none of us really are perfect and the world feels like they can't even get through the door to God because we're holding, we're gatekeeping it. We're saying, no, because you are not holy, you can't come in. Think about it. Think about the people who are sinners, those people who are going against God's word. Some of them don't even know any better. They're just living their lives. Yet we would say to them, you are not good enough to come to our God. But Jesus goes to them and he goes to us and he exposes the flaw that is in the Pharisees. Their flaw is that they think that the unholiness of the sinner can impact Jesus. And our flaw is the same. We think we have to keep ourselves away from those who need the message in order to maintain our righteousness. And here's the thing. We're not wrong. You see, the Bible says in multiple places, we have to be careful who we hang out with, right? Because of their influence over us. And it's true, you gotta keep, it's a good thing, it's a good idea to keep good company. People who are going to lead you towards God, people who are gonna build you up in your spirit and not tear you down. But if you hide yourself and never approach those who need the message, you're missing out on making the disciples that God wants us to to make. You see, the thing is, even when you hang out with sinners, they cannot make you unrighteous because of what they are doing. This is what Jesus is trying to tell us. We have to loose this idea. We have to get rid of this idea and allow ourselves to receive the full righteousness of Christ. Be solid in it. Be sure in it. And you need to be sure today that you are righteous in God's eyes so that when you go out from your house, from this church, and you see sinners on the side of the road, you can easily engage with them and lead them to repentance, lead them to Christ. You know, it actually goes one step deeper than this. And I hope that you're gonna hear me here today. You see, I have to ask you a question. Were the Pharisees righteous? You see, Jesus says to them, I'm not here for the righteous, I'm here for those who are sinners. But were the Pharisees righteous? No, they were not. You see, later on, Jesus pulls them up time and time again for their hypocrisy, for how they say they are righteous, but they don't live righteous lives, how they look righteous on the outside, but on the inside, they are dead. They have no relationship with God. And so here's the the kicker. Here's the thing you and I need to understand is that we are not the Pharisees standing on the outside looking righteous, being all filled with the Spirit. We are the sinners that Jesus came for. And this is a tough thing for you and me to understand. You see, Jesus, again, he will violate your religiously held ideas to get to that that thing in your heart, that self-righteousness, that pride that's in your heart and pull it out of you. You see, if you think that you are not a sinner, then you are deceived. The word says that all fall short. All of us sin fall short of the glory of God. Every single one of us, from every apostle in the Bible to every person, we all fall short 
of God's grace. Every single one of us. And so when Jesus says, I didn't come for the righteous, I came for the sinners, he was hoping that the Pharisees and the scribes would see that he came for them just like he came for the tax collector and the drunkard and whatever else you want to name here. You see, we are not different We are not holy because we go to church. Going to church doesn't make you holy. Reading your Bible doesn't make you holy. There's only one thing that can justify you, and that is faith in Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross. Being a true Jesus follower is the only thing that makes you righteous. And so he's saying to you and he's saying to me today, don't look at yourself as being some sort of righteous person. Look at yourself and understand that you're the sinner I came to save. And when we cast judgment on the world for the things that they do, we are being those pharisaical hypocrites who don't see the issues in our own lives, the things that defile us. We are all saved by one thing, faith in Jesus Christ. It's the story of the prodigal son The older brother was there the whole time working for his father. And when the brother, the younger brother comes home and the father loves him and restores him, the older brother looks and says, how can you just love him and restore him? How can you give him all of this when you never gave me? No. The father says to the older brother, all that I have is already yours. You're a son in the house already. But this son was dead and is now alive. In the same way, let us never be that older brother that looks at those who are coming to faith and says, God, why do you save them? Why do you help them when you don't help me? All that is God's is already ours because we are saved by the same grace. We become sons and daughters of the Most High by the same grace. Can you see that every one of us are the sinners that Jesus came to save? You see, Jesus is here to break open our religious mind. When religion tells you because you've been a Christian your whole life, because you pray and because you read the word and because you do all, you live a good, clean life, that you are now holy, you gotta release that because holiness is not being a good Christian. Holiness is being completely separate from all things that are dark and we ourselves cannot. We are powerless to get ourselves there to that point. Nothing you do can ever impress God so much that you become righteous in of yourself. Never. What you need is the grace of Jesus. We need it. The sinners in the world need it. And Jesus was trying desperately to teach us in this moment that you and I are no different to the tax collectors and the sinners. See, I want to blow your mind for a second because there's one thing about the story you don't know. Maybe some of you know it, but a lot of you won't realize that when Jesus was calling out Levi, Levi has another name. His name is Matthew. And he is the Matthew 
that became a disciple of Jesus and not only became a disciple of Jesus, but wrote the gospel of Matthew, the life of Jesus. He went around and he evangelized and he spread this message of Jesus. And if it wasn't for Matthew and the other disciples of Jesus, you and I would not be here today. You see, Jesus empowered a tax collector. Jesus empowered a sinner to become one of the most powerful men of the kingdom of God because he could see beyond his sin into who God created him to be. And that is the death of what religion brings is that we can't see past the sin in people's lives to see what God sees, who God created us to be. We can't see it in ourselves. We can't see it in others. And so we don't empower ourselves to be God's children and to be who he's called us to be. And we don't empower others. And it's only religion telling you that. But the reality of God's heart is that you have potential to be great and used in the kingdom of God for greatness, just like Levi, Matthew was. They said that he cannot be used of God, but Jesus saw the potential inside of him. And he sees the potential inside of you. And so today, I want to pray with you that you might receive this revelation that even when the scribes and the Pharisees went, whoa, what is Jesus doing with these sinful people? Jesus is with you and me, the sinners that need salvation. And he's not rejecting us. Even when the church rejected you, even when you reject yourself and say you're not good enough for God, today he's telling you that you are. And so I want to pray for you, for your purpose and for your call. Because you have a beautiful purpose and a beautiful call in Jesus' name. If that's you today and you have put your purpose on hold because you're waiting to become good enough for God, today I'm telling you, you are already good enough for God because of Jesus' sacrifice. And just like he empowered Levi, the tax collector, to be great in his kingdom, he's going to empower you to be great in his kingdom. And so I pray you receive this today. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I pray for every person watching this. Father, those who are watching from home, those who are watching at church right now, Lord, when religion and the enemy has come to take their purpose away by telling them they're not good enough for you, right now, I declare purpose rise up in people's lives again. Remember, understand, feel inside your heart that you are are a child of God. When you become a Jesus follower, you become a child of God. And so right now, Lord Jesus, I pray you restore their purpose. You restore their call and you remind them that they are made worthy because of you not because of themselves. Father, I also pray today for us as a church. I pray, Lord God, that we would have that heartbeat from your throne, that, Lord Jesus, we would no longer see sinners as something to be pushed away, but someone to be invited in, not something that needs to be defiling over there, but someone who can come into our church and receive the restoration power of God. I pray that you will even impact us to be friend and to go alongside those who need the message, that we would not be scared that their unrighteousness would impact ours, but that we are righteous all the time because of you. 
Give us that power to impact this world with your love and your power in Jesus' name. Amen.